Do you like what you're hearing right now? Then be sure to check out VOC Nation. Whether it's on VOCNation.com or your favorite podcast provider, VOC Nation offers the greatest in live and on-demand content, great interviews, and incredible insight from those who have lived the business. Seven days a week, VOCNation.com. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter at VOCNation. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Thursday night edition of WCW Retro. I am, of course, your interim host, Howard Morgan, filling in for Papa Stroh, um, who continues to recover um, and continue to get better each and every day. Um, Tonight we'll be talking a couple of different topics, um, how gimmicks have changed over the years, um, and we'll see, you know, kind of our thoughts on you know, how gimmicks have changed, what's changed, are they good change for the good or for the bad or or whatever. And we'll talk a little bit about um, pro wrestlers getting into the world of movies and television shows and kind of transcending from entertaining us in the square, square circle, excuse me, to on the on our television screen or on the big screen. And, of course, you know, I, I don't do this um, alone. I'm going to bring in um, – my co-host, who's, who's been with us, you know, fairly regularly lately after, you know, battling a, a pretty serious injury. It's the man that is perpetually on Santa's naughty list, and that is the one and only Chaz Moretti. Chaz, how you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing very good, Howard. How are you tonight? Um, I'm doing well, man. Doing well. I'm trying to keep a little warm here. I mean, probably not as cold as where you're at. It's a little bit above 30 degrees here, but you know, just trying to stay a little bit warm, you know, on this chilly Thursday night. How are you feeling? Feel good. You know, just getting stronger and working toward um, getting back to, you know, some semblance of what normal used to be. Good. Well, that, that's good. That, that's good to hear. That's really good to hear. Um, but I, I do have to say, before we really kind of dive into tonight's topic, um, you know, tonight, and this show really wouldn't be possible without this very special caller. Stro, what's going on, buddy? How are you? Hey, guys. How you doing? Great to be here. Great hey, what's happening, well, Rob? Oh, good, good, good. It's really good to hear from you all. It's really uh, good, good to hear, hear you, from brother. you, brother. Yeah. I missed you all so much. <laughs> yeah, we, we miss you, man. And, we, you know, we're praying for actually both you guys, you know, through – through your recoveries, you know, with your, you know, various things that are going on um, and things, you know, you know, that, that just happen, you know, in life. Um, but we are praying for you. You know, we pray that, you know, we'll, you know, you get stronger each and every day, Shro, and, you know, kind of get back and, and pilot the ship, you know, once you're once you're ready and able and and all of that. But, man, it really is good to hear from you. Um, I do want to bring on one more call, and it's, we're usually not – Happy to hear from, but you know we we kind of listen to him every week anyway, and that's the one and only Rap Boy, buddy. What's going on, man? Oh boy, the guys just that we have here. We got Papa Stroh ready to kick me off his show. Look up, Stroh. I'm doing okay. You know, I've been up to two thirty this morning. You know, I'm I'm still it's, kicking it's it. It's the ratness. Yeah, the <laughs> The ride of mania coming in. Yes. Oh, good Lord. Did we got to turn his mic off already? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> 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 
Today is a good day. Today's yeah. a good day. Oh, good. Well, that's good, good brother. Oh, man. Chaz, I know, I know I talked to you earlier about, you know, some ideas for the night, and you kind of came up with the ideas tonight, um, you know, with the gimmicks changing and then maybe segueing into, you know, wrestlers on, you know, movies and, and TVs. Um, what are your thoughts? I'll start with you on what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on the gimmicks and their changes, you know, good, bad, and different, you know, what's, what's your two cents worth, I guess we'll call it. Uh, in my opinion, it's changed for the worse. I mean, I think that, um, you know, wrestling used to be all about colorful characters and um, I shouldn't say, you know, almost stereotypical um, based on what was current at the time or what was being uh, portrayed as good and evil. But nowadays, I mean, it's just, it's devolved. You know, like everybody likes to talk about the evolution of the sport, but it's it's devolved into a bunch of guys in tights. I mean, it's just you can see the the amount of true characters are few and far between these days. I mean, you know, back in the day, you had you had Japanese wrestlers that were all judo experts. You had um, you know the Germans were portrayed as Nazis or as you know big strong heels. Then uh, you had your Russians, and then you had cowboys, you had Indians. I mean, you just had a, a variety of, of different characters that kept you that kept you riveted, you know. Um, nowadays, with, with very few exceptions, I just don't see it. Yeah, no, I yeah, I, I mean, because we, you know, we kind of grew up in, in the same era of of watching, and you're right, there were always. And you hate to use the word stereotypical, but they were stereotypical, you know, cowboys. And, you know, cowboys could be, you know, good or bad because there were good and bad cowboys, you know, you know, in the Old West. Um, and you could endear yourselves to them. The Russians were, you know, typically, you know, the bad guy. Um, again, like you said, the, the Germans, you know, were typically, put, you know, portrayed as, you know, as being, you know, a strong heel. And, and typically the Russians and the Germans were kind of, you know, the, the powerhouses, if you will. I'm not saying that they all were, but that's typically how they, you know, were portrayed. And, you know, I, I, yeah, I just don't see, you know, that, I guess nostalgia, I guess I'll call it, the the old style of gimmicks, you know, and the, the believability, you know, in a character. And it seems a little harder to kind of get behind these guys. I'm not discrediting their work in the ring, and that's not what I'm talking about. Just, no, you know, but I mean, persona, you get, the, the guys that are really over are the guys that still portray some sort of gimmick. I'll give you a case in point. Uh, Gunther in the Imperium. There's a gimmick there. There's there's a character there that actually draws you in. Yeah. Yes, um, it does. Yeah, whether you yeah. like him or hate him, it draws you in. Judgment Day draws you in. Uh, on the AEW side, MJF draws you in, only because I of the fact that, that he, <laughs> well, you know, he's got, he's got his head screwed on straight. He understands, he understands the history, and the traditions of the business, as well as as you know the modern working, so to speak. Um, right. Yeah. But, I mean. You know, Soraya, 
works her gimmick very well, um, as does uh, Ruby Soho and uh, here. Why is Tony Storm so over? She's over because she's got a character now. She's right. just not walking out there in tights. I mean, she's got an actual character that you can that you can uh, you can draw into. I mean, right. you, just, you can believe in. Again, whether you whether you like it, you know, like her or hate her, you know, either way, it's a character you you know you can believe in. Right. I mean, you know, and there's more that I probably haven't mentioned that Rapway can mention and Stroke can mention, but I mean, you know, you right. you look at it and you're like, all right, and you look at a lot of these guys that um, that aren't as over as they should have been, or got released because of that. You know, one that comes to mind is Mustafa Ali. I mean, the, the kid had all the talent in the world, was great in the ring, and crashed out of the E because why? I mean, you know, he's another guy in tights. He just didn't have yeah. a – he didn't have a character. Right. No, I, I got you. The talent's what, there. What, what's your thought? I mean, the talent's yeah, there. Fine. It's not the talent's fault. It's this direction that they're being Agreed. put in, right? You know, and it's like right. uh, you know, when you get a group of people watching TV that rather watch an episode rerun of the Big Bang Theory of a wrestling program, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> right. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. But, you, you know, know sure, and, I think, I think and, you touched on a good point here because now it's left too much up to writers, you know, otherwise known mm-hmm. for better for lack of a better term, television writers. Whereas back mm-hmm. in the old days it was the talent that was responsible for their character and for developing their character. Right. You know, I, I think that's another thing that, that went wrong. Is that now there's just too much reliance on, on people that really they know how to write television but they don't know how to write wrestling. Right. Yeah, they 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 can't they can't develop a a character, um, you know, for the performer. And you're right, it's not necessarily the talent's fault because, like you said, you know, a lot of these guys are they they made it to that level because they they have talent. You don't get to that level, you know, ninety nine percent of the time without talent. Um, mm-hmm. So they they have the talent. They're they're just lacking the like like stress said, the right direction, the you know the right push in the right direction. Um, you know, I just and I mean, what what? So, what do you think can be? How, you know, how do we correct that? How do we do? We go back to letting these guys have, uh, for lack of better words, more creative control over their own character. Would would that help? Well, used to be, um, used to be that uh, our well personas gimmicks was an extension of our own personality. And if we believe in it, the, the people, the audience will believe them also. And with, um, you know, you know, the agents they have are really the people they should be doing the creative, honestly, because they know about wrestling more than the people writing it. And with, uh, you know, look at the guys that are over today. Uh, Seth Rollins, for example, Dusty Rhodes helped him tremendously. Uh, CM yep. Punk, for example, Shawn Michaels was the original pipe bomber before CM Punk came along. 
and Sam Buck looked up to Shawn Michaels. I mean, you had guys that had the experience and the know-how to know about wrestling, help coach and, and teach, you know, the next generation. So I just, I just think, you know, we should put things in proper perspective as far as people with a know wrestling helping the men and women of the next genre. Right. I totally and, and agree. I, just, I, read, I, I read an article the other day, and I've heard it before, but I never really saw it in print. And I just saw it, I don't know, probably Monday or Tuesday, when um, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard kind of came back to, or not back, but back together under the AEW banner. They were surprised that really nobody backstage asked them for their opinion for any insight or direction, they were kind of told, this is what you're doing, and, hmm. you know, and, and, and go out and do it. And here are two guys that really, you know, were a, a major part in half of the four horsemen for, for well over a decade. And right. they sold out arenas, and they they had that believability. You know, they had that, that, that charisma. They had the ability to either hate them or love them and more importantly believe in what they were saying, you know, whether it was, you know, on a television show or on a pay per view or 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 whatever it was, I believed them and I was you know, we sold out for that. And right. and, and we bought into it, you know, a hundred percent. And how do you have talent like that that you signed that's in your employment and then and then you don't use them? You know, it's, like letting, um, it's like letting a uh, encyclopedia library go to complete dust. <laughs> so right. much knowledge. Exactly. Yeah. You, you have you have the reference right there. All you got to do is open it up and and ask them, and mm-hmm. and they'll tell you. You know, and like I said, these were two of, of the best performers of their time through the the mid '80s. You know, into the '90s. I mean, they. They made Jim Crockett Promotions, you know, what it was, especially through 85, 86, when, you know, Crockett Promotions was, was really, you know, really red hot at the time. Right. I mean, you, Rapport, you also we, we look at... from you, buddy. You, what, what, what do you... Oh, right, Chris. Rap, will you there? All right. Well, yeah, what did they get like Okay, all of a sudden, it fades out real quick. They get rid of them. Okay. Just like right. uh, just like uh, mankind, he came as do love. They got rid of that and he brought back the mankind thing because everybody liked mankind better than do love back in the day. And plus, it's the era of the the season and all this other stuff. We're going to bring this guy as you. You know, I just tell so because somebody else is doing something like that. You know? The gimmick was Paul Cogan versus um, the Iron Sheep. Okay? America against Iran. That was in that era there. You know what I'm saying? After that, after that era went down, they switched, they switched gimmicks. Yeah, no, I, I you know, again, uh, being part of pop culture then, that. We, you know, that, again, it was something we could get behind and was something we could believe in, you know, because, listen, we're, 
we we live here in the United States. We're always going to back the you know the hero against, especially you know somebody that's anti-American or you know wants to mm -hmm. overthrow or take down America. And yeah, I just don't see that 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 drive or that that believability in these characters. Again, taking zero away right. from their talents. Right, they like are talented when, uh, performers. Right. It's just like when mankind changed his gimmick, okay, to uh, do love. That was the, the year of Woodstock. You know, celebrate the year of Woodstock. <laughs> well, I, I think you know. I, I think also what we gotta, what we have to look at though right now, is um, where these gimmicks were a reflection of pop culture and what was mm -hmm. what was relevant in our society, our society has become increasingly boring. I mean, let's be honest about it. Everything offends somebody. And, you know, people have just gotten so stupid in terms of, of the fact that they can't take a joke or they can't witness a parody or they can't look at a, at a character for what it is. Everything is a problem nowadays. You know, case in point, look what's happened to um, sports teams with Native American names. Oh, no, we can't have that. you got to cancel that. And, and the one that brings, that brings to mind is the Washington Redskins, who the NFL and the Washington Commanders now are being sued by the tribe that was depicted on their helmet because... <laughs> Because they claim that their chief was being honored by being part of that football team, and that honor's been taken away. So that was the tribe. Absolutely. Because they were saying that no sports teams that had no Indian faces. Wait a minute. The Atlanta Braves got an Indian face. Talk about Blackhawks still do. Now, yeah. all the worry about now is kick pads and five-star oh. matches, and everybody thinks they're a great Japanese wrestler. <laughs> oh, what if you throw a punch anymore, Stroll? Right. I, yeah. watched the, I watched a clip today. I watched a clip today of, it, of an indie show in Chicago that was put on recently, hmm. and there's five of them battling outside the ring, and I swear to God, you could see how fluffy the forearms and punches were until you had the sixth idiot could have to go to the top rope and do a, a suicide dive on top of everybody else who were waiting to catch him, by the way. And it was just right. so, so god darn unbelievable. And it's like, really, this is what our sports become? But, I mean, you take a look at the pride that these characters had back in the day. And, and again... Joe touched on a great point when he said it, it's in the hands of of people that don't really understand the sport, which is the writers. But, I mean, you look mm -hmm. at the pride that Wahoo McDaniel showed. You look at the pride that was exuded by Jack Briscoe, Jerry Briscoe, proud of their heritage. I mean, the Funks were proud to be from Texas. Dusty Rhodes was about the ultimate Texan. You know, Dirty Dick Murdoch as well when they were the outlaws. I mean, right. And then moving further on, Devon Erics, very good. And then moving yeah. further on into the into the eighties, I mean, 
come on, the guy was a god awful wrestler. He he, did, he got gassed after three minutes. But damn it, you didn't want to watch the Ultimate Warriors entrance. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest about it. You know, Jimmy Helwig was a terrible wrestler. Okay, yes, God rest his soul. He was a terrible wrestler. But you wanted to watch that entrance, though. Right. Oh, absolutely. It's just like uh, me, me and more from WCW. After he left WCW, he came out with The Undertaker. And The Undertaker done it for him. I mean, Ultimate Warrior, think about it. Work smart, not hard. I mean, if he was, I mean, shoot, if I had a body like his and could do what he do, I wouldn't blame him either. <laughs> right. No. <laughs> right. Totally agree. You know, yeah. I, I mean, let's let's talk. You know, you, you talk about it. You talk about you don't even have to worry about the the, stereo, the stereotypical ethnic gimmick. I mean, let's let's take a look at at um, at your great uncle Stro. I mean, the guy. Gorgeous George developed the idea of entrance music, developed the idea of the of the rich, untouchable um, patrician, for lack of a better term. I mean, yeah. he totally brought working class. He brought working class under his thumb, which you know, in the fifties and, and early sixties, being working class and being part of America was a huge thing, and here you have Gorgeous George thumbing his nose at all of it. If you go back, there, there, there are some of his matches on YouTube, you know, if, if you turn the volume up and listen to the crowd, he, he, he damn near would incite riots just walking to the ring. He didn't have to do anything. Agree. He, mm-hmm. he he had that crowd lock, stock, and barrel before he stepped through the ropes because of how he Agreed. carried himself. Because of the given and they he said, tuned you know, in he was every single that, week. Yep, every week he did. Yeah. Because they wanted to see him get his ass kicked. Yep, and, every week. And, and, and ain't the first one to start the pitting the makeup on his face? He didn't put makeup on per se, but he had the perfume. He had the he had, the perfume, he had a valet. Yeah. He had a male yeah. valet as well as a female valet. So I mean, he had the, he had a full entourage. I mean, it was you know, but but that was a, a gimmick. That was a character. People mm-hmm. got behind that. Whether you <laughs> loved them or you hated them, look at another guy. Look at superstar Billy Graham. The guy comes out in the mid seventies. Okay, what is he? He's a six-move punch-kick wrestler, mm-hmm. but damned if he couldn't talk. And he oh, came yeah. out in tie-dye, yeah. and he came out in big round sunglasses, and he came mm-hmm. out with the do-rag because he was balding. And he did that that whole um, that whole laid-back hippie vibe. You know, he was again. He was the inspiration for Dude Love. Because Absolutely. you could get behind Superstar Billy mm-hmm. Graham. You watch his promos and his videos on YouTube and turn the volume up, and damn, just half that crowd didn't cheer for him. And he was a stone. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah, you know, absolutely, yeah. Segwaying into that, um, what you just said, 
I think that's another big problem of today's wrestling is uh, they want to appeal to that few percentile of sub-fan, whereas the other majority of fan base are being ignored, and they're the ones that are buying the tickets. You know what I mean? And with right. uh, that few percentile, they're, you know, I mean, they frown upon, you know, people that have actually made money <laughs> and work smart. And they and they push um, the, the 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 reckless style that shortened careers and <laughs> that sort of thing. And so I mean, so I mean, what this is appealing. I, I feel that they're appealing to the wrong base. You know what I mean? Whereas I agree. they should be appealing more to the money making base. I agree. Cause if you look at it over yeah, the years. Absolutely. So if you look at I, it over I, the years... I'll give you another name. Well, one second, If you take a look at what Stroh's talking about through the eras, in the 50s, wrestling appealed primarily to the working class. Mm-hmm. Okay? You know, the, the upper crust watched it. They never admitted it. 60s and 70s, again, working class and ethnic groups. Case in point, Bruno San Martino would not have been world champion if he didn't appeal to such a large ethnic base, especially in on the East Coast. Okay? Right. Then you look at the eighties. The eighties were were basically they were playing the children. Children and their parents. Because that's who bought merchandise. That's who bought toys. That's who bought into the Hulk Hogan and Macho Man characters. Okay? Mm-hmm. In the South, they appealed to Southern crowds and Southern tastes, and the territories appealed to, their, to the niche markets that each one played to. Even in the 90s, you know, they were still they were appealing to that 18 to 34 demographic that was, you know, by and large um, buying tickets and, and buying merch and, you know, keeping everything afloat. But like Stroh said, now instead of appealing to the 98%, that actually goes out and spends money, you're appealing to 2% that sits in their mother's basement, okay, on their computer, and everybody's an expert. Oh, I don't like this. Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't like what, what this wrestler said. Uh, take him off here. I don't want to see him again. Why don't you grow a set? Right. By nature, or by whatever you want to call it, is, has always walked that line between, you know, what's acceptable and what's controversial because that's that's what brings people to, you know, what, at least it brought people to the arenas every night that made them watch, you know, each and every you, week. You, you, know, worked, when, when it, you worked for him. What did Bischoff always say? Oh, um, well, he said, made it quite a few good points, actually. I mean... I was he's on I know he was the most notorious for controversy creates cash thing like his book, right? Right. But uh, he was um but Derek was big on production. And See? uh he was huge on production and he wanted everything from the beginning of the show to the end to be top notch, top quality. I mean he was one thing I'll say about Eric, he was he was big on quality over quantity, right? So for T V programs. 
Yeah. You're absolutely yeah. And and the yeah, same yeah, resonated yeah. to the house shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, it resonated to the house shows. It resonated to the pay-per-views. These were events. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you know, say what you want about it. You know, about Bischoff. You know, he 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 had. You know, he had it. You know, and for what is it, eighty some weeks. You know, he he had it. He, you know, he he was running roughshod over. You know, WWF at the time, and you know, just yeah. really handed it to him. Each, I remember one. I don't know which night. I think it was Monday Night Nitro. It was when Raw was pre-recorded. He told you who was going, who was winning, or going to win those matches on so you didn't have to tune away from what you were watching on Nitro. You know, it, that was it, smart. whoever was wrestling. You know, it was. It was. You know. And, and I don't know necessarily if it was these two, but, you know, Bret Hart was wrestling Stone Cold. Oh, well, don't worry about it because, you know, Stone Cold gets disqualified and the match only goes four minutes. Oh, well, I'm not I'm not turning away for a four-minute match. I'm, I already know who wins. I'll, I'll just stay right here. <laughs> did mm-hmm. it wrestle some feathers in New York? It probably did. But it kept well, how many remote controls? How many Nitro. How many switch buttons on <laughs> remote controls were ruined during that time? Because you did switch yeah, back Absolutely. And forth. <laughs> I, 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 I used to do it. I used to do it. I used to do that all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I well, you were going to mention another name, buddy, before we before we wanted to finish off Stroh's uh, topic and, and comments. Who was the name you were going to mention? Jesse Ventura. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, guy. Guy was was and still as a commentator with with. With Gorilla Monsoon was, I mean, you know, was great on the mic. Again, limited, limited move set, you know, along the lines of, you know, Billy Graham and and even Hulk Hogan, really, you know, limited, limited move set. But Ventura could talk, and mm-hmm. he yeah. could talk. He could he yeah. could talk. I mean, up, up where Nick Bockwinkle talks, and he could talk all the way down. To, to where, well, I, mean, where I was, kind of at my level. Let's take a look at let's take a look. At, like you said, moves that were different in different parts of the country and different parts of the world. Hogan had a five move move set in the United States. He had a twenty five move set in Japan. It's funny you said. I don't know who he was wrestling, but it was in Japan, and I couldn't. Somebody told me about it, and I didn't believe it because I was saying, "Oh well, you know, Hulk Hogan matches only go about five minutes." And mm-hmm. I don't know who who brought it up, but there's a match over in Japan, and I think Hulk Hogan went 26 minutes and wrestled the Great Muda, 1993. Minutes. Was was it okay? So I mean, the guy could the guy could do it, but I guess like like Stroh said, what what you know, work smarter, not harder. If you're here in the states, why do I need to pull out all of those 20 moves when I got them eaten out of the palm of my hand with the first four or five? Right, but you know that, that leg drop cost him three inches. Mm-hmm. That yeah, leg drop has cost Hogan over the years three inches in height. Because of all the yes, fusion surgeries on his back, he, he's three inches shorter mm-hmm. right now because of that leg drop. Uh, it's amazing that something that I don't want to undermine it, but something that simple, but you do it, you know, day in and day out, you know, seven days a week, three hundred and seventy days a year, three hundred sixty days a year, or whatever. 
over, you know, 10 years, yeah, I guess it, 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 it's going to take its toll on you. Well, yeah, because and, you know, like you're, you're jumping on four or five feet in the air. You're coming down on your ass on a surface that is a hair softer than concrete. Right. I remember Hogan mentioned yeah. one time he should have used a sleeper hold as a finisher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you think about it. How did how did Piper last thirty some odd years, relatively right. unscathed? His finisher was a sleeper hold. Same thing with Bob. Yeah. Well, I, right. And it was funny. I was I listened to Arn Anderson um, in his podcast, and and I mean he's had you know some injuries throughout his career, but. He, he, you know, attributes his longevity and being in the business for as long as he did because his feet never left the mat. He never – you would rarely see him climb the ropes. Rarely. Look at Dean Malenko. Dean Malenko walked away. Dean Malenko walked away pretty much intact because of the fact that he was he was a, a ground-based grappler. He was a moveset grappler. Yeah. yeah and, and a very good one. Very good one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, like you said, I, I think that the, the the wrestling style has changed. Like, like Stroh said, and Chad, you touched on that the, the basic the basic moves. I think are are gone. You know, like guys, like you said, guys can't throw a punch. Guys can't clothesline. And and when they do, some of them just pop right back up. And uh, it, it just doesn't. It doesn't. Some of it's just starting to not make sense. And I was listening to well, Stone Cold was talking when, to Bret Hart. They were in as Germany. As I used to tell my old, as I would tell my old broadcast partner Stroh every time we talked, it's not become wrestling anymore. Now it's Cirque de Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it is. You know what the, very, very the irony of it that. is. You know what the irony of it is. It's uh, oh. now WWE's partner. With uh, UFC TKO, right in entertainment, and where you have UFC using simple finishers. <laughs> yeah. We met, you know, so we talked about that one time where there was yeah. a, this. I forget what UFC fight it was, but there was this big buzz over a side slam as a finisher in a UFC mm-hmm. match, and people went all mm-hmm. stupid over this. Oh, did you see that slam? It's like a side swim. It's no big deal. <laughs> I, I watched Bubba Rogers do it for years. What are you talking about? <laughs> My point yeah. is, though, where did, it, where did it go? I mean, that's the problem. Where, Like you said, Howard, where did the believability go? I mean, yeah. if you were to pick somebody up on their side and drop them on their back, come down on top of them, you mean to tell me they're just going to pop right up? Right. You know what the deadliest exactly. finishers right now mm-hmm. are? You know what the deadliest finishers? You won't believe it. A schoolboy small package. Yeah. Because <laughs> all the high impact stuff. There's the, you know. I mean, how, how many matches, bro, <laughs> did Blair win with an inside cradle? Yeah. I mean, world titles were Dusty's last world title was won with an inside cradle. Yeah, yeah. I I, I, was, I think I told you guys I was watching Spectrum Wrestling from Philly. It was nineteen eighty three, eighty four, 
I don't know who Bob Backlund was wrestling. It, it may have been the Iron Sheik at the time. Um, and he he pinned he pinned the Iron Sheik with a backslide. Yes, yes, sir. In Philadelphia, in the middle of the ring. I I like him. Jerry won the world title with a backslide. Yes, I. I yeah, Jerry Byers won the world title with a backslide. Yes, he did. Okay. Yeah, he moved. All right, thank you. He most yeah. certainly did, and and think that's the simplicity is gone. Yes. yes. You know, when, when Gary Von Erich won the title, NWA world title from Ric Flair, with a guillotine counter to a Tomo stretch, I thought that was huge back during that time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, 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 that was earth-shattering that was earth stuff at the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here, and you go, you go backwards, right? At one point, Buddy Rogers' figure four leg lock was unbreakable. Buddy would go actually yes. would actually do this deal where he'd have somebody come in from the crowd, offer him two grand, five grand, whatever it was, if they could break the figure four. All right, and you get these guys, big strong guys, would come up from the crowd, and Buddy would lay the figure four on them, and he put a little more pressure than he normally would, and these guys would you know would give up. And go limping back to the crowd. Well, what did that accomplish? Well, they believed that Buddy's figure four was unbreakable or at least inescapable. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, you get Cowboy Bob Ellis that turned it over and reversed it. Something right. simple as just rolling onto your stomach would reverse the hold mm-hmm. and reverse the pressure right. of the hold. That was huge oh, back then. Yes. No, absolutely it was. Yeah. I mean, now you've got guys like like Stroh like Stro said earlier. you got guys that are, you know, all about doing these, these super flip nonsense, you know, triple 180s. Let me drop this guy on his head and see if he gets up. I mean, come on. Even Stroh's been in the business a hell of a lot longer than I have, but even when I was coming up, you knew full well that if you slammed somebody, if you gave somebody a pile driver, if you gave somebody a suplex, you made sure you protected their head. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, guys, now in order, yeah, to, get cheap, now in order to get a cheap pop, they're <laughs> dropping each other on their heads. It's stupid. <laughs> Crazy. Um, I, I have to go for right now. I got my collar don't, okay? All right, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah, I, got, I have to go for right now, but it was great. Always, always, so great chatting with you guys. Oh, it was great and hearing I'll be, from you, brother. And uh, I'll, keep, I'll keep you guys informed, and you guys are doing a great, great job, and uh, I'll be back soon. Okay, so sure. you take and care, and Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah, look, from yeah, Merry Christmas, yes, sir, everybody. Have a great Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas, brother. All right, Stro. You too. Well, he sounds good. He sounds good, yeah. He? He's getting real better. He's almost back to his he old is. self again. You could see him get yeah, a little energized yeah. tonight. That was good stuff. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Chris, what are you was. saying now, brother? You were... I, I say, I, I tell you what, it's no joke being in the ring because I've been in the ring. I shattered my collarbone. But I tell you what, I rolled out of the ring. I got back on my feet and I and forget it. I couldn't, I couldn't yeah. even stand up after I got off my, got on, back on my feet. That, yeah, that, biggest, that helped me. Biggest that bump helped I ever me. took. 
The biggest bump I ever took was a death belly driver from Robert Eagle Anthony, who's a phenomenal wrestler in the NWA right now. And uh, I came out of that bump. It was the easiest bump I ever took. Why? Because Rob protected my head. Mm -hmm. And I had never worked with him before. I had never worked with him before. We, We discussed backstage. I said, I said, Explain to me what we're doing. I said, because I don't trust you. And he's like, you're going to do this and this. I'm going to do this, and then we're going. Okay. And it it worked out perfectly because you you had, you know, you had two professionals in there that knew, that understood how to make things believable without killing each other. But these kids, they right. dragged me up a wall. I mean, it's going to, someone's going to die in that ring soon. Yeah. Don't know who, yeah. don't know yeah. where, but these kids are goofy. Right. Someone's going to die in that ring soon. Yeah, you, you talk about, you know, protecting, and I remember when um, Magnum T.A. Made, his, made an appearance um, at um, a TV taping that was on WCW um, to 605 or whatever time it started, um, right at, months and months after his accident. He came out on crutches and um, – you know, Dusty Rhodes was there congratulating him. And, of course, now out come the four horsemen. And they attack Dusty Rhodes and Magnum TA. And I remember Tully Blanchard falling down on top of Magnum TA. And I, I got I got so enraged. I'm like, how, how can you attack a guy that's, that's on crutches? And I remember Magnum telling the story in a podcast saying that if you if – you, and I've watched it again since. If you watch, as soon as it happens, the camera pans away a little bit, and now you have Arn Anderson and Rick Flair beating up on Dusty Rhodes. What you didn't see was Tully just laying on Magnum to keep him from getting hurt and protecting him from anything else. Because when stuff starts going on, I mean, you don't know where these guys are really actually going to go or going to land. And he kind of just, you know, kind of – laid Magnum down and protected him from, from getting hurt because he was already legitimately hurt from, from that, from that terrible car accident. And, and, and right. I think that's the difference now is there's no, there's no thought to, you know, I guess the move looks great, but how do I do it and still protect the guy that I got to protect? Because they, they want that. Because they, they, because, right. they can't because gravity does not allow them to. I'm sorry. Right. There's just certain things that you're going to do that if you're if you don't have if you don't have the right angles, if you don't have the right trajectory, you're going to hurt somebody. Right. It's just like um, that one time with Goldberg when, when he, um, I didn't have to be not crown jewels, he busted his head open. They had a quarter match because of that. They yeah. It up. Remember that one? Yeah, look at, Goldberg, look at Goldberg ending Bret Hart's uh, career because he uh-huh. was doing something stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he's always, from what I understand, I don't know him personally, never met the guy, but he was always a little bit reckless um, because, I mean, he, he was intense and he was powerful. He just didn't understand, you know, the, the thoughts of him. It's a work, you know, pulling it off and making it look, you know, as legitimate as possible, but protecting everybody involved. 
and then you get stuff that that just is is a is a freak accident. Like when Sid Vicious, I don't know why a guy that's six eight, three hundred some pounds, decides to come off the top rope and he literally shatters his ankle. Look at Lesnar you know, broke his neck trying to do a shooting star yeah. press. No, that was what are you thinking? I cringe every time I look at that. But, I mean, him, that match with Angle was a phenomenal match, and so they tried to one-up each other. But it's like, right. Rock, what the hell are you thinking? Yeah, you're just too big, man. Like, you're just too big. You got, and sometimes Gravity's you not going to let you do that stuff. It's like right uh, the, the famous uh, word, the Montreal Screwjob. Shawn Michaels and uh, Bret Hart around the pole, figure four. Yeah. That should, yeah. That should have never happened. Right. Right well, or wrong, there I, you go, you know. I think it, I think we've it, had a, a great discussion on this topic, but I'd like to talk about our secondary topic, if you guys don't mind, which is no, uh, no, um, wrestling in the movie. But I'm, what I was saying when I came up with that topic was the amount of wrestling movies, the amount of movies about wrestling, that have, oh, been popular, okay. that have been popular okay. throughout the years, given the fact that the that the Iron Claw is coming out what next week, um, yeah, they've already yeah. had they've sure. already had the premiere for it. Um, and I think it's it's great to see a movie, you know, a biopic, so to speak, about wrestling. I, I think there's a number of different characters and different performers that a biopic would be would be great. To have, I mean, I think Andre the Giant would be a great story to hear or to watch. Uh, I yeah. think superstar Billy Graham would be would be a great story. Uh, Bruno San Martino, amongst others, would, would be a great story to watch. I mean, I enjoy watching George. George. Yeah, I enjoy watching Young Rock, not because it's great TV, but because it's nostalgic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I get out of it. It's very nostalgic. But there's a number of different yeah, movies I, that just that come to mind when, when you think about um, uh, wrestling as as it's been perceived. I mean, you know, mid '70s you had Henry Winkler and the, and the one and only. And the one I used to. <laughs> well, let me tell you something interesting about that movie. If you want to take a look at it from a wrestling perspective. That movie is all about gimmick 101. Here you had a young guy yeah, yeah. who was an actor who got involved in wrestling by accident, like most of us have. Okay, and then he goes and over the course of years and and at the at, almost at the expense of his marriage, um, goes through different gimmicks, different personas, until he caught lightning in a bottle with with the with the gorgeous George type gimmick of the lover. And he came out in the full regalia, and he came out with valets, with pendants, with um, the perfume, and the um, and the playing to the crowd that Gorgeous George did. But I mean, I tell these kids all the time. You want, you know, they say, I, I always ask them, "Well, what's your gimmick? What's your character?" And they can't. Well, I don't know. How do I find one? Well, I'll tell you what. Go watch this movie. It's an old movie, but watch it for the gimmick. Watch it for nothing else than than just the uh, the gimmick development. I mean, you look at it. He went from being you know a a timid baby face that that got his ass handed to him 
to uh, a Nazi to a hypnotist. You know, don't forget, hypnotist and hypnosis was very big in the 50s. Yes, it was. You know, so to have a hypnotist basically command his opponent to to bump around for him was genius. But again, that didn't get over as well as the lover did, and they put him in. They put him right in the title shot. He wins the title. Next thing you know, he went there. He's wanted on Ed Sullivan. He's wanted all over the place. Why? Because that character was just lightning in a bottle. I mean, you, you get another movie that was similar to that, but it, it, it delved more into the barnstorming aspect of wrestling in the territories, which was uh, the movie about the female tag team, All the Marvels. I mean, you had a female oh, yeah. tag team. Oh, I forgot about that one. You know, oh, they were wow. barnstorming the country, barnstorming the country, chasing after the tag titles. Okay, they lost the tag title match to begin with. They had to go down to the bottom. So they basically had to barnstorm around the country, win matches. You know, they made that seem like it was a little too legit, which, we, of course, that's okay. That's a suspension of disbelief. You know, you had that movie that, that, that showed you the underside or, or or what it took back in those days to become a champion. Um Interesting for what it was. I mean, you look at the, you look at Mickey Rourke's The Wrestler, very yeah. timely, very very yeah. relevant. But it shows, you know, it shows what happens after the fall from grace. You know, in the business, we all strive to be, and if we aren't, you shouldn't be in the business. We all strive to make money, and we all strive to be um, at the very pinnacle of our sport. You know, go as far as you can, you know, and and um, what happens when that doesn't happen anymore? You know, what right. happens when you, you fall out of that? Or what happens to the guys that, you know, are struggling afterwards? And, uh, you know, that that's where the movie The Wrestler comes in. The Wrestler was kind of, if you really look at it, it was kind of, See what happens to to a lot of people when when that fall from grace happens. The scene that you know kind of disturbed me was the uh, the meet and greet, and these half those guys looked miserable. You know they they poured it out when they met their fans, but half of them looked miserable because you know what they were used to having wasn't there anymore. Right, and and I think that that movie especially. Yeah, as timely as it was, I think appealed to to so many people because it, it transcended not just the, the fall from grace in, in from a wrestling perspective, but you can apply that to almost any job that you have. You know that you know you were you know you were you know a CEO of a company, you know, and and things start to go go bad, and and you you kind of spiral you know out of control. You know, or you know, you could, you know, you could own a company, and you know, things go bad, and you know, you find yourself from owning a company to now working, not a menial job, but a job somewhere where now, you know, you have a boss to, you know, to report to when you've had your own business for, you know, 25 years. I think it, it, right. it transcended more than just. A, I mean, and they did a very good. I, I love Mickey Rourke. I think he's a great actor. He did a great job making him believe that 
he was, you know, that character. And, you know, well, exactly. I think it was just a timely, a timely piece. And I think it, it crossed over into a lot of different genres, if you will, as far as, you know, jobs and, and people's lives in general. Everybody, if they watch it, you don't have to be a wrestling fan to like the wrestler. Right. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's, that's what that movie does. And I, I just looked up the, the IMDb for the one and only. Um, it was technically Roddy Piper's first film credit. It is. He played a Marine. Yep. What? Yep. Wow. Yeah, was it? Roddy Piper. Le- Leatherneck, Leatherneck Joe Brady. Yep. yep. And, and he was a Marine. According and to he IM- got IMDb, the, the one and only Dustin Hoffman owned the rights to that screenplay. Yes. Yes, and he decided that he, they decided to cast Henry Winkler as opposed to Hoffman. Yep, they, yep, they said and it, was a, it was a three-minute conversation in a doorway of a New York building, and then a year later, Henry Winkler got the script. <laughs> right. I mean, and you take a look at it, and, and um, Piper's recurring scene was getting clocked with a German with a German helmet. Yes. That's all you saw every match. You got clocked with a German helmet. Yeah, I, I and he sold the hell out here. of it. I'm, I'm gonna have to go back and watch it again. You know, and and well, it's free on YouTube. You can see the whole movie on YouTube oh, for it? free. Oh, yeah. okay. I'll have to check and, it out. You know, and then you look at you look at another movie that was that was would never translate to any other period but the mid '80s, and. Um, that was the move, that was the one with with Piper and the Tonga Kid. Uh, what the hell is it plan. called? Body, Body plan. plan. Like, showing the rock. You're going to get to it. <laughs> you know, showing the showing the rock and wrestling connection. The wrestling yeah. connection's gone. It's been gone for well, what eighty six, eighty seven is where it really ended. So you're looking at uh, thirty four years since the rock yeah. and wrestling connection's been around. Thirty-five. And this movie came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah this like movie that. came out. This movie came out right at the end of that because it came out. Body Slam came out in 1987, so it was right at the yeah. tail end of that rock and wrestling connection. That 83, 84, 85 era. Oh, exactly. Yeah, it only lasted a couple of years. You know, and and the crossover to MTV with the rock and wrestling connection was just huge. Mainstream mm-hmm. America sat up and took notice of our sport. They had already yeah, they, so they had had always noticed it, but they never wanted to admit it. But it wasn't it now wasn't, all of a sudden it was popular. Right, it wasn't on like mainstream TV, but with with not with Body Slam, but with the Rock and Wrestling Connection. Now you have you know Saturday Night's Main Event where that didn't come on till eleven thirty, and people would stay up and watch yeah. wrestling yeah, at eleven thirty at night, eleven thirty to twelve thirty. They take away from Saturday Night Live sometimes. Yeah, but, you know, you take a look at it. You take a look at that show. That was the first time that um, wrestling was on network TV in over 30 years at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whether people want to admit it or not, professional wrestling is responsible partially for for the rise of television in our society because the Dumont Network, which produced wrestling from the Marigold Arcade 
here in Chicago and from other places around the country. That was probably one of the top three or top four television programs at the time. Mm-hmm. Y- yes, absolutely was. Mm-hmm. But there's you know, one, the one, one show, the one and only doubles into that at the end. Yet. There's one oh, that we haven't talked about yet. Hold on, let me finish, and then we'll move to you. Okay. Well, what I was going to say is at the end of at the end of the one and only, um, you see the in-laws and and uh, the wife's brother, um, watching the title match live on television. On television, yeah. It kind of brought that full circle. But go ahead, Chris. You were saying? The one that you guys didn't mention yet is the one that maybe started it all, okay? Andy Kaufman, Man on the Moon. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, we all had a suspicion... I don't know. People really didn't know whether or not Kaufman and Lawler were working together, or if it was a shoot. But I think watching a man on the watching uh, Man on the Moon, when you see the scene um, with uh, with Shapiro, the agent, saying it's a bad idea if you guys ever work together again, and you just you see Lawler and Kaufman sitting at the office going, mm, "I'm sorry, George, we just thought it'd be funny." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and, it, and so, I mean, it's amazing because Andy Kaufman takes that oh to, to Kaufman's grave really and beyond. Yeah, you know it. Yeah, it Waller, really Waller kept it. Waller kept it kayfabe until the movie uh, exposed it. Right up, yeah, that's what I was just saying. Until mm-hmm. the you know the the evolution of the internet and then the movie came out and Kaufman pitched that to. Vince McMahon Sr. at at the time, and he's like, there's there's no way that he's going to that anybody's going to believe that an actor will be able to sell wrestling tickets. And New York crowd will believe it. Right, the New York crowd. Senior was Senior was right. The New York crowd would have never bought it, but the Memphis crowd ate it up. They, yeah, they, he went. I'll say he went. He went to Tennessee, and and the rest, as they say, is history. And but here we that are. Shows you, the, you know, that shows you the beauty later, of the territory system. Talking about it, absolutely. But I mean, that that shows you the beauty of the territory system. Mm-hmm. The territory yeah. system was about as unique as the wrestlers were back then. I mean, you had absolutely all different types of wrestlers back then, and you had all different types of, of territories and cultures. I mean, things that yeah, were popular in Atlanta and Florida and Alabama and, you know, parts of Tennessee were not things that translated in Chicago and Minneapolis. Definitely didn't translate right. out in out in Los Angeles and, and up and down, you know, the California coast. So, I mean, right. you know, the East Coast was, was a different animal. Uh no, you, know, you go to California yeah, and, and watch the old shows in Spanish from the Olympic Auditorium. Heavy, heavy Mexican influence. Well, why? Yeah. Well, Mexico's 90 minutes south of L.A. Right. You yeah. know, Tijuana is what, an hour? Out yeah, of LA? about an hour, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I was watching um, 
because of the, the internet now, I've been watching a lot of the older Southeast, uh, South, what's the South, Southeast Texas Championship Wrestling with young Tony Blanchard and Chris Adams and Magnum TA. And, you know, here, you, you know, watching it growing up at the time, you know, I, I didn't think as a 12, 13 year old kid, I didn't think Tony Blanchard and, and Magnum TA knew each other until they came to Jim Crockett Promotions. And, and here they yeah. are wrestling, you know, in the early 80s. You know, well, I mean, you, you look at, yeah. well, you look at, you know, you know, Tully Blanchard's dad, Joe Blanchard, ran, uh, ran that, that part of the country. But if you, if you ever listen to the interviews with Gary Hart, who controlled the talent for all of Texas, whether it was Paul Bosch in Houston or Joe Blanchard or the Funks in Amarillo, all the talent came out of the Dallas booking office. Yeah. Von Eric controlled all the talent that worked that area. Right. Yeah, and, and I heard Gary Hart talking about um, in, a, in an older interview that what made the territories so good and what made these guys able to work together so good is you could have a match in Memphis, Tennessee, and it go 15 minutes. And then you could take that same exact match, travel to Houston, have that same exact match, go the same exact time, take that same match, go to, you know, Shreveport, Louisiana, and have that same match, and then go to Jacksonville, Florida. But the, the 10 times you've done it, everybody's seen it for the first time. And well, you guys I mean, got to build a relationship and a trust together. That's why these, these older guys in the, in the 80s, you know, through the 80s, and I'm sure, well, before that, worked together so well is because they knew each other so well. And here, Vince Jr. is a genius. I'm going to lay that one out there because you take a look at the talent back between 83 and 87. You take a look at the talent that he poached from every single territory in the country. And every one of those guys was handpicked. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, the, the junkyard dog didn't come out of a vacuum. The junkyard no, dog didn't. was 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 a gigantic draw in in mid south in Louisiana. I mean, here back in the you know we're still talking about a time where prejudice ran rampant in our country, and you, you've got you've got a black wrestler that is the most over thing in the territory. You know, and the thing yeah. that he had with the Freebirds, you know, played upon that. You know, so where did, where did no, you know, we see the Junkyard Dog on WWF television, and he didn't come out of a vacuum. He didn't come out of nowhere. No. Uh, no, who but, else did, but did be, but being, bring in? But being in New Jersey, the, my first exposure to the Junkyard Dog was the WWF Junkyard Dog. I didn't know. Right. Because listen, they, didn't, they didn't talk about where these guys came from. This was a new guy in exactly. my eyes. Anyway. I mean, yeah. and, you know, Starcade, uh, was it Starcade 86, the Night of the Skywalkers? Uh, uh-huh. The scaffold match. To most of us, we had never seen a scaffold match. Never to people that were in Mid-South, scaffold matches were not common, but they had happened before. Right. Uh, the enclosed cage, Hell in the Cell. Shit, they did Hell in the Cell in 1983 in Atlanta, in the Omni. Yeah. The last battle in the Omni, of Atlanta yeah. between Tommy Rich and, Bo- and Buzz Sawyer. 
in Bob Sawyer. That was Hell in the Cell. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, you know, and but again, it, it's because because of the territories, and you know, again, pre-internet, we had never seen it before until you know it comes to really until it comes to Philadelphia, where, where I would watch it. You know, I they would always have a card on Saturday, and then I would watch it on Prism, which was the local, yep. you know, premium channel here. And I would watch right. it the next day, and it was I I I I, I kind of knew because at that time it was like eighty was eighty. Six or so, when Hardy Race came to the WWF, I kind of knew him because I was starting to watch both of them now. But a lot right. of the people in Philly never never heard of Hardy Race. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know, you know, his legacy, you know, his his, his championship caliber. And really, honestly, what they didn't understand was how tough that dude really was. And Harley didn't and, start out in the NWA. Here's a little known fact. No. Harley did not start out in the NWA. Harley started out in the AWA, tagging up with Larry yeah. Hennig. Yes, he did. And because I have the the Peacock, you know, I'm, I'm able to watch some of those older matches. And that's when 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 if the if the modern wrestling that's on TV now is like not kind of catching my interest, if I'm not watching something else, I'll throw on the old territory stuff and watch the old Mid-South and watch the old AWA and, and um, oh, absolutely. you know, the old world-class stuff, you know, out of Texas, you know, the Sportatorium in downtown Texas, you know, I mean, I've never been to downtown Texas, but I can tell you where the Sportatorium was, is downtown Texas. <laughs> well, I mean, here you, you look at, um, where, since we're segueing from movies into television, any Saturday, any given Saturday with cable in the 80s. Uh, here was the lineup that we saw in Chicago. So we saw basically you had two WWF shows. You had Wrestling Challenge and Wrestling Superstars. Yep. Okay. That took you that took yep. you from ten o'clock in the morning until twelve noon. Um, one o'clock you put on there was a station called the Financial News Network, which turned into an all sports station on the weekends. And at one o'clock you could see Polynesian Pro Wrestling. From Hawaii, Leah Maivia's territory. Oh wow! In fact, that was the first time I ever saw Jerry Lawler as a heel. He lost the loser leaves town match in Memphis. Next thing you know, he pops up in Hawaii as a heel, calling himself the mouth of the South, which was interesting as all get out. Okay, you had that from <laughs> one to two o'clock. From two o'clock, you had uh, you caught the W, you caught the uh, the NWA syndicated shows. So you um, right. You caught the Mid Atlantic show with Bob Cottle um, as your as, as your host. Um, then you caught the um, Southeast Championship Wrestling, the Continental from Alabama. All right, that took you to that took you to five. Five o'clock started three hours on the Superstation of Crockett Promotions of the yeah. NWA. Long before yeah. WCW was ever a thought. It was the NWA. All right, mm-hmm. so you went from five o'clock to eight o'clock at night. So now you've been—if you were a real wrestling fan—you were glued to the TV from ten o'clock in the morning till eight o'clock at night. And you, at five, if you wanted to segue in and flip channels, you had Glow for the comedy. You had right. Glow on at five o'clock as well. Okay. Right. Eight o'clock, you had yeah, nothing. No. At, after eight o'clock, you had nothing for a couple hours. 
until again you switch to the Financial News Network at ten, and they brought they they showed the um, the earlier Saturday morning broadcast out of Memphis. That's where I got to see Lance Russell. That's where I got to see Waller and Bill Dundee and a lot of these guys. Um, you know, and, wow. and after that you had the um, at eleven you had the recap show with Joe Petticino. Joe Pettacino, that's, wow. that's where I got to see a very young Bam Bam Bigelow working in Japan because they would show you the clips from Japan. Right. So, you know, on any given Saturday, if you were, you know, during the, the cable era, you could watch wrestling from 10 o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night. Wow. Yeah, ours wasn't and, and that. And that's it hardcore. Like it didn't happen years. all the time. It comes on late. Yeah, that, that, yes. that, that didn't, yeah, that didn't happen all the time. But that was that was some hardcore stuff though to watch all of it. Yeah, and, and, I, and I tried. I tried to watch a lot of wrestling when I was younger. But oh yeah, I started it at ten o'clock with Challenge and uh, Superstar that ran us to twelve. Then twelve to one was um, Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling with Jim Crockett Promotions, and then it was done until the six o'clock. I forgot the 3 o'clock broadcast. Or, yeah, the 3 o'clock broadcast was World Class Championship from Dallas. So, yeah, the, 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 then we had, you get the, the 605 to 805. You got, you know, the Jim Crockett promotions. And then you had to wait until about 1130 at night. And it would always change. It would either be... Um, world-class championship wrestling, um, or they would show Mid-South, depending on who had that hour time slot. And it was only, it was 1130 yeah. to 1230. And that was it. You only had yeah. about, about four hours, four or five hours of wrestling on a Saturday and on a Sunday. Um, yeah. USA had a, a show, a WWF show from 12 to one. And then again, you got, um, the 605, yeah. 805, Sunday night. Show. on ESPN too. ESPN on ESPN. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every once in a while you would get AWA from the ESPN, but that was that was like hit or miss. It wasn't always on, but sometimes yeah, you would catch it. Yeah, before okay. like okay. I said, before mm-hmm. cable. Before cable, though, when you had the when you had just the real territories, all we got up in Chicago was the AWA at five o'clock in the afternoon on a UHF network. In Chicago, right. we had the AWA show out of Minneapolis. That was it. You want your wrestling after that? You better go buy a magazine. Because that's the only way you were getting your news. Well, yeah, me, I okay. a ton of magazines. <laughs> I, I don't know how it knows this. I, I live right there, right here in a, on the borderline of New Jersey. I'm in the middle of New Jersey. Okay? I used to get all the New York stuff. Okay, Madison Square Garden, they used to have it there. I used to watch that at Madison Square Garden. Plus, I had Philadelphia right. Prison. I, I was right there in the middle of both both states having all this rush on. And that means double time for me. Yeah, oh, yeah, because yeah, up, up near Trenton, where you were, yeah, you got the new, you got WWOR, you got WPBI, the new yep. Channel 9 and 11 out of, out of New York that would show... Madison Square Garden classics, but they were they were only classics, but they, they were considered classics, but they were only from like at that time two or three years ago. 
but they were so old matches and they were so like, oh, you know, I can, I, I can, you know, I can watch this again. I can watch, you know, they would show, you know, Hogan beating, um, you know, the Iron Sheik or, you know, they would show the, the cage match with Tito Santana and Don Morocco and, you know, and. They, but, they show one live, okay, on Channel 9, okay. Mm-hmm. From Madison Square Garden, that was when Superfly Snooker jumped on John Morocco. Yeah, that was when he actually that hit that. That was live. That was yeah. live on Channel 9. Yeah, yeah, we couldn't get it live down here because I just looked too far south. Yeah. Right. right. I'm in the middle. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm in Central. Central. So, you know, the only times we ever got, we ever saw those Older matches was on uh, VHS because they just didn't have it over here at the time. And you know, again, maybe the internet hurt our sport because now it's just too much information. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, everybody's opinions out there. Everybody's a freaking expert. Yeah, but you know what really hurt us when it first came out on web TV. What TV? Yeah. The first thing that leaked everything out. But, I mean, here, where did Dave Meltzer start getting his information from? These are the guys you got to blame. He got it from wrestlers. They yeah. Giving this guy information. What are you giving this Mark information for? Right. Are you getting this stupid newsletter? Yeah, I, I, I can't stand Dave Meltzer. I. I mean, I you, know, you, know, you, know you know who we could blame? That writer from uh, PWI, uh, his name is uh, Brady Hicks. <laughs> All right, turn his mic off. Brady said turn his mic right. off. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, just the, I think, you know, as we talked about earlier, just the, the nostalgia for the TV is, it's not there anymore because there's just so much of it on now. And that's why I have a hard time just kind of watching it live. Like I Literally, there's wrestling on every night of the week. Yeah, but it's the same you know, old nonsense, though. Yeah. It's only it's, AEW yeah, or WWE. It's, it's the same old shit. It's, yeah, there's nothing new, and it's just, I, I, yeah, I just can't, I can't get into it. First of all, I don't have that much time to invest in all of it, especially when it's, just mediocre at this point, you know. Even, you know, even with CM Punk coming back, I'm, I'm a little anxious to see what he does. But he's going to do the same thing uh, he did I'm five always years so ago. Interested. Yeah, he's going to do the you same thing he did of. six years ago. Right. It, it's going to be the same old stuff, and it's not what I. It's not what we watched wrestling for. We watched it for the new stuff. You know. You know what? You know what's going to happen next? How are they going to take it to the next level? Now and it's just you know the 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 drive to watch the pay per views. There's nothing there that makes me want to tune into the pay per views. If I didn't if I didn't have Peacock already, I I wouldn't I certainly wouldn't buy them. But I mean it's the only way you can do it now. But I remember spending thirty, forty, fifty dollars a pay per view doing it twice a month. Right? You know, yeah, I remember that. I, I I wanted to watch it. You know, I, I mean, I come on, we used to buy. We used to spend forty bucks, fifty bucks a pop. You buy Starcade, and a week later you had the Survivor Series. Yeah, 
Yeah, and you bought a boat. Yeah. Because you, you wanted to see but Buffalo. When, when the, what were they going to do uh, with came out. When the internet came out, I, I used to watch it for free. Yeah. Yeah, but, it's, I mean, it's just there's no there's no appeal any you know anymore. There is, you know, if, but if, let me if, let me let, if let it's me, presented properly. I mean, don't right. get me wrong; I'll still watch right. an occasional. I'll watch the occasional um, WWE or you know um, uh, premium event, otherwise known as pay per views. But yeah, that's because <laughs> I that's because I have the Peacock. If I didn't have right. Peacock, I, would, I couldn't care less. I mean, right. I'm not and, spending and I, and I on an AEW the next pay-per-view. Day. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you I'm know. just plain not spending on an AEW pay-per-view because the product doesn't appeal to me. Am I going to sit around, no. you know, on the web going, oh, I don't like AEW, so kick it off the air because I don't want to see it. You don't want to see it. Change the damn channel. Right. Just change it. It's 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 no different than, than, than a radio station. If I don't like the music, I'll find another station to listen to. Oh, that's, exactly. That's just how it goes. But but I, I did listen, get, kind of segueing back into the movies. I with the Iron Claw coming out. I um, I read an article the other day that um, Jake Roberts refuses to watch the Iron. He won't watch it. And I'm like, why? You know, now it's got me interested. Why won't this guy, who's very much part of this story, whether directly or indirectly, like, why won't he? Watch the Iron Claw because he wasn't featured. As, well, not not because he wasn't featured. According to them, it's because of where he was in his life at that time. Like he wasn't in a True. very good spot in his life. You know, he he was making money. Don't get me wrong. No, but but, Jake was at that time though, eighty eighty two eighty three before he signed with with Vince. He was working Atlanta. Jake was working yes. that territory. So I think part right. of it is that he wasn't featured because he wasn't at world class. Yeah, he, he said it's just a very was one one of his many, you know, dark spots in his in his career. And he was very, he was very close to Kerry Von Eric. He was very close to Kevin. And oh, yeah. you know, watching they all worked Florida together. That, you know, the whole Kev, Kerry thing again with, is just he just he won't do it. No, yeah, maybe, I tell you, what, you, you know, eventually you, maybe. Come you guys want to watch some interesting right now, TV? You, you want to yeah. watch some interesting TV? Look up Championship Wrestling from Florida, or Florida Championship Wrestling during the period what was it eighty two, eighty two, eighty three when David was a heel down in Florida, and he brought Kerry and Kevin down there as heels. Hilarious stuff. As a heel, Kerry mm, couldn't wow. wear a heel to save his soul. He tried, no. but he was horrible. How did David do? Because I don't, I didn't. Could, did David pull it David off? David got over as a heel down there. Really? They hated David. Oh yeah. Wow. Oh yeah, they hated David just... down there. <laughs> In fact, when Kerry won the title, the first part of Blair's schedule that he had to pick up was Florida, was to go work Florida. So here he is, Kerry right. Von Eric, NWA World Champion, babyface, super babyface everywhere. He went down to Florida, and they hated him again because they knew they had known him from before. But right. what sealed his fate, the reason why his his reign was so short, what sealed his fate is the very first booking he had to pick up that was Flair's, he blew it off. 
He no-showed the booking. Oh. Word got back to word got back to St. Louis that Kerry blew off the booking, and right away they said that's it. We got to take the belt off him. Where can we do it? And they and it came down to to Tokyo because he went from he had two bookings in Florida. He blew one off, showed up to the other one drunk. Then he went out to Japan. <laughs> they had him work Jumbo Sharuta twice. And then they told Flair, be ready, you're taking the title off this kid. He's wow. not reliable. Yeah, I know he I know he missed one because he was drunk and he had some I guess reliability issues, but I didn't I didn't realize it was like right from right from Jumbo. That's, that's why he um only reigned his champ for twelve days. Wow. They couldn't rely on he was unreliable. Fritz has wow. pushed for his boys to be champ forever. And, yeah. uh, you know, David passed on, obviously, but uh, I don't know why Kev was, was overlooked. Maybe the movie might shed some light on why Kevin was overlooked because Kevin would have been a hell of an NWA champion. But Absolutely they gave it to Kerry. And mm-hmm. they let Kerry have the opportunity to win, and he did. Um, but Kerry was unreliable. Terribly unreliable. Wow. Yeah, I didn't realize it was right from the beginning. I thought it was more a couple of days into it. I didn't realize he literally dropped the ball from the beginning. And he dropped the ball his first title with us. He blew wow. it off. He didn't want to work wow. Bob Roop. Afraid of Bob Roop because Bob Roop was an Olympian, a legit shooter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Bob Roop is no joke. <laughs> no. And so no he, joke he, at all. But, I mean, here, you just won the title, right? And two weeks later, you blow off your first title defense? You know, they they weren't going to stand for that. Much Nick and um, um, the rest of the NWA board of directors wasn't going to stand for that. That's all right. You won your title. You walked out with your belt. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, especially yeah. back in the NWA back in that time, they, they, you know, you had to be, you know, almost ultra reliable, you know, to literally take that because we're still talking, you know, territories. We're still talking going to all of these different territories and well, you, promoters. You take a look at the guys that were running you the coming. Well, you take a look at the guys that were running the NWA at that time: Sam Muchnick, Bob Geigel. Jimmy Crockett. Vince Sr. was still on the board of directors until he passed on. Then you had, right. you know, every one of the territory promoters, Bill Watts. Bill Watts wouldn't have stood for some for a, a world champion no showing him. Right. I mean, yeah, you know, Dory Funk Jr. was still on the board of directors at that time. These were old school guys. They weren't going to put up with this nonsense. They said, oh, right. he blew off his first title defense. Great. All right. How do we make how do we make it believable? Who's lined up as title shots? Where can we take it off of them? Flair wasn't ready to re, wasn't ready to regain the title. Flair wanted a break. Right. So they told him, yeah. "Be ready. Go to Japan. You got to take the title off this kid." Because again, he was unreliable. Wow. Mm. Wow. But I'm I'm dying to see yeah, that, well what the I, from what I hear of the Iron Claw. 
it was uh, it was well received by Kevin not Eric, and so I'm, yeah. I'm very yeah. interested to see what what the deal is with the with this movie in terms of uh, of how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I, I am, I, I do, I definitely do want to go see it. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe you don't you have know. to buy a ticket to go see it because they might show it right there on Peacock the same night. No, they're going to the show it day. on uh, HBO no. Max. Has got the streaming rights to it. Yeah, it's oh, like, okay. yeah, HBO Max has it. Yeah. Which is yeah, fine. Absolutely. I have Max, so I mean, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah. It. Yeah. No, I, I'm very. This is one of the. You know, I'm. Robbie Spence, Robbie the wrestler, with Mickey Rourke. You know, because I was I was excited to, to go and see that. Um, probably, you know, I'm, I mean, there's not that many wrestling movies made, but just movies in general. You know, this is one that I'm, you know, that I'm excited to see, and you know, kind of look at it, you know, for the first time, and yeah. just see kind of what story. Because listen, the Von Eric story has been told, you know, a hundred different times by a hundred different companies I you know I'm, I'm interested to see you know how they how they do it you know and kind of what they cover you know how they cover it and it's supposed to be you know very very good um, like I said, well, Kevin, I'm gonna I lay out a, a lot of good things to say about it yeah I'm gonna lay out a mini topic for you guys but I want your opinions I, I'm I'm not gonna give mine um, <laughs> if you had if you wanted if there was a wrestling movie or a wrestling biopic that you would truly want to see, other than the Iron Claw, which has already been produced, what, what would it be? If you had like a top three in terms of wrestling biopics that you'd like to see made, what would they be? Top three. Uh, me and this guy was talking about this today Yeah, Columbus. One of them's got to be The Undertaker. The other one's okay, gotta be the other one gotta be uh the Ric Flair. And the other one's Hulk Hogan. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Howard what about you? I'm I'm thinking probably and, and some of the guys that we already mentioned, but I, I think I would I would like to see Dusty Rhodes. Um who else? Who am I thinking of? Honestly, I, you know, I I would love to see you know a a a, a biopic on the Iron Sheik. Um, okay. And for my last one, who am I going to pick for my last one? Prob- probably Bruno. All right. Yeah, they, they would Good be choices. my top three. I think I would be interested to see those three. Yeah, see, for myself, I, I want to. For myself, I'd want to see Gordon George. Mm-hmm. I'd want to see a biopic on the fabulous Moolah and one on Roddy Piper. Roddy, yeah, Roddy was Roddy and Andre were my were my other two, but mm-hmm. I, I just, I mean, I I love Roddy Piper. I, I, I and uh, yeah, me know, too, because my Roddy, Roddy Piper broke the. Uh, being the first guy in the movies, and right. they did. Well, not, but you know, and again, you know, watching wrestling when I did, you know, Roddy Piper was a manager. The first time I ever saw him in WWE, I didn't know anything about Piper, you know, 
pre, you know, 1984-ish, when he came to WWF and was managing, mm -hmm. you know, Bob Orton. And did, didn't even really, I mean, he kind of looked like a wrestler, but I I just, I didn't know him as a wrestler. I didn't, like, I didn't know his Portland background. I didn't know his mid-Atlantic background and, you know, you know, everywhere else that he's been. And then, of course, you know, as, as I got older and was exposed to more stuff, you know, I, 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 got, I got into who Piper was. And, you know, again, with the stuff that A&E does and all the stuff that's out there on the Internet, you listen oh, to yeah. his story <laughs> and, mm. <laughs> you know, listen to his wife well, and kids talk. And even, even his peers, Roddy Piper, you know, the, 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 the guy that we see, you know, e you know, each and every day on – um, you know, on the, the 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 TV, I you know, I guess I'll call it, is not the Roderick Toombs, you know, that everybody that his family knew. They were two completely different people. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Is, you know, which is really hard to believe, you know, but because you look at Roddy and and just how how crazy he was and his his skills not only on the microphone but in the ring and just. You remember yeah, that? You remember that stupid show, um, Wipe Swap? That was on yeah. a few years back. I watched they it. They did an episode. Him and Flair on it. Yeah, the episode of him and Flair was just hilarious. Yeah, oh yeah. What a contrast in lifestyles. Yeah. I tell yeah, you what, and, and Piper was was a good guy. I'm, he was a family man. Like he. Yeah, he, you know. You know with, I want to tell you a little story about him, okay? When me, Bruce, and all, and all of us went down to Atlanta for that big Atlanta uh, show, the convention, they were at one hotel. I was at another hotel. I walked over to that hotel. What in a um, place where you go, go eat, eat at. You know what happened? Piper said, don't worry about it, kid. I buy it for you. Right? I went to the table. All of a sudden, he bought his stuff, sat right next to me. Piper. <laughs> okay, Piper was a nice guy. He my, was my, my wife and I were just talking about very nice. My, my my wife and I were just talking about you know celebrities that you would want to have dinner with you know go out, you know on a date or have dinner with and I thought I said one of mine would be Roddy Piper like I would want to sit down and just have dinner with the guy I, just listen to him. I have breakfast with the guy. I have breakfast <laughs> with the guy. You know. <laughs> You know, listen to his yeah, wife no. talk about when he was home. Like when he was home, he he was all about his kids and doing things with his kids and spending as much time as he could with them. You know, until he had to leave again. And he just it just shows you another yeah, side I mean, of of the guy. Being a, being a manager, mm -hmm. if I had a if you, you know you were to ask me, um, you know, who would you like to have dinner with? Or, uh, I, I think as a manager, we would be remiss if we didn't if I didn't want to have dinner with Bobby Davis. Bobby Davis was the oh. very first wrestling manager. Yes. Without Bobby Davis, none of the guys that are in my part of the sport would have ever had a job. No, absolutely. Yeah, I. And I honestly, I, and again, I, I think he, you know, he kind of gets overlooked um, 
you know, a lot, obviously. I mean, because I, I forgot about them. But, yeah, you're right. I, um, you know, I forget what they – somebody was talking to them about it. Um, what do they call them? Um, um, the Elvis Presley of wrestling. Because oh, yeah. because of of of, of his of his um, impact and influence, and like you said, uh, on literally, you're right from 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 Bobby Davis on. There, you'd be lying if you talked to a guy that didn't that like you that knows the business, that's worked the business, that would say, "Nah, nah, he didn't influence my career." Well, you're lying. <laughs> Bobby Davis was <laughs> Bobby Davis was singularly responsible. For Buddy Rogers getting the shot at the NWA title, he signed a yeah. contract. This was, you know, this was back when you were truly independent. He signed the contract to represent Buddy Rogers, and they went out barnstorming. And you know, he just got he bombarded the, the main office in St. Louis with requests and matches and results until they finally got. Um, Buddy is shot in 1960. Yeah, you know, and Buddy goes in there against Pat O'Connor and takes the title. Absolutely, and I'm, I'm just reading an article now, and it says, um, in short, without the stylings of Bobby Davis, there would be no Bobby Heenan, Jim Cornette, nope. or Paul Heyman. Nope. Now, nope. talking about modern day who's who of managers, you know, you know, these three guys essentially wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for this guy. Nobody would. I don't care who right. you are. If you ever put if you ever put on a shiny suit, a sequins jacket, or stood around ringside in a tuxedo, you wouldn't have been there without Bobby Davis. Pure yeah. and simple. No Gary Hart, no J.J. Dillon, no Paul Jones, no Cornette, no Doctor Ken Ramey, no Talk Chaz Moretti. Doctor Lou Albano. Right. You would, no grand I mean, wizard. He, 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 right, he managed I mean, what you know, Don Fargo, Jerry Graham, mm-hmm. Buddy Rogers. You know. Yeah, well, Buddy was his crown know, jewel. Gorilla Monsoon. <laughs> yeah, well, Buddy yeah, was the crown jewel. Yeah, oh, absolutely, so, I, absolutely. So I mean, you said, you know, you said, who'd you like to have dinner with? I'd love to have dinner with with Buddy Rogers and Bobby Davis. My God, the knowledge that would come out of that. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I I got a good question. Okay, right. I want to ask you. I want to I want to tell you mine after you answer yours. Okay. All right. Okay. What was the first wrestling movie that you saw? First wrestling movie that I saw. Yeah, I can remember. Yes. I remember bits and pieces of a wrestling movie called The Mad Bull with Alex Karras, which was about as schmaltzy as they came. But the first mm-hmm. pure wrestling movie that I remember seeing at the theater was the one and only with Winkler. Okay. Did I you, Howard? Mine was mine because, of, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really start watching wrestling until probably 80. 384 ish, you know, right pre birthing the, the rock and roll connection. But my first movie that I saw was Body Slam. And, yeah. I, and as a kid, I absolutely loved it. 
because okay. you know because Ronnie Piper was best, in it. I got the best you know. one. I got the best one. Go ahead. Okay, before I start watching wrestling, okay, I put on the TV, okay, no other than all the marbles. Yeah, all the marbles was a great movie. Yeah, that was a great movie. Back I had a hunt, hunt that movie out on DVD, uh, but I got it. With Peter Falk, the Columbo. Yep. Peter Falk, yep. yep. And, and and Burt Young was in it, you know. I had a hell of a hunt for that movie. My wife actually found it on DVD. We had a hunt around to every half-price bookstore you can think of. They finally found it in a different part of the country, and we had it shipped in. Wow. But that that movie's like uh, very hard to come by. Yeah. Is it really? Wow. Wow. That was the very first <laughs> movie I saw. I believe it was on cable too. It was on cable. It was yeah. It was a, a short run at the theaters. It didn't make yeah. a lot of money, but then it got bigger, like you said, Rap Boy. It got bigger when it got the cable. Yeah. That's when it got huge. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think it might have even been, uh, I watched it, but it was in probably 88, 89. It was like when the, you know, ABC or CBS had their, you know, Sunday or Saturday night movie on. It might have even been even something smaller like TBS or, you know, one of them smaller stations. That, well, at the time they were smaller. That was on. Cause yeah. I remember watching it on TV at my, at my grandmom's house. It was definitely yep. on TV, but I had already watched Body Slam. That was my very first movie. Yeah, you oh, gotta look that, up Mad. If you want to, if you want to see an old schmaltzy wrestling movie, look up Mad Bull with Alex Karras. I got, I got that one. Mad Bull. Yeah. So prior, prior to, to, uh, Webster. Alex Karras was, was a professional wrestler back in Detroit uh, during the offseason when he played for the Lions. It was in the early 70s. Yes, that's oh, was another one that I seen after that one. There's another one that, that came out, okay, The Raging Bull. Yeah, it was a boxing movie. That was, that was boxing, yeah. Oh, coach, coach is in that movie. Yes, he is. Coach is in, in Mad Bull. Wow. <laughs> yes, he is. And then Vern Gagne helped produce one called The Wrestler, and that was Ed Asner was in that one. Wow. But I can't remember seeing that one. And then, of course, you had the, you know, the, the famous of all cartoony wrestling movies, No Holds Barred. Oh, what a, I can't believe that's not an Academy Award. <laughs> hey, you got to give, you know. How it, does it, that it, not win a, an Academy Award is beyond me. Well, I'll tell you what, it breathed a new life into Tiny Lister's uh, career. Because after Friday, yes, he was on the way down. And then all of a sudden, he played Zeus, and they even gave him a run uh, as Zeus. You know, which brought him yeah. off the screen and into the, into the arenas. And, and, and I thought Chaz, I thought he was going to say another one. Okay. Yeah, 
That was uh, playing with the family. Oh yeah, yeah. You know what? I uh, I've always had, like I said, I've, I've always I've known the Knights for many many years. I managed and early in my career. I managed Soraya Knight. Uh, I managed Mom very early in my career, and I had the pleasure of managing her again last July at a night to remember when she challenged for the NWA women's title against Camille. And mm-hmm. so uh, seeing fighting with my family, and uh, I knew, God, I knew um, Soraya Page from when she was 19 years old. And, uh, you know, I'm very close with the Knights still. Uh, we still do business together. Uh, when I was laid up in the hospital, uh, Ricky Knight had um, had Raya uh, send me a video. I've never posted a video. I just kept it, you know, in my in my library, uh, wishing me well. And uh, I talk to Zach all the time uh, between uh, Facebook Messenger and Messenger calling. I talk to Zach quite often. I talk to Ricky quite often. And uh, so, you know, again, that was a, yeah another great movie. That was very uh, well, you know, close to home. Going back to to, to your uh, movie, The Wrestler, with Ed Asner, um, they, they have as part of the cast. They have, of course, Ed Asner, um, Bern Gagne, Billy Robinson, Don Morocco, Danny Hodge, Lord James Blears, The Crusher and the Bruiser, Wazoo McDaniel, yep. Dusty Rhodes, <laughs> all in 1974. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And again, I, I I was talking with her daughter, um, oh God, about six months back, right around August. Um, There's talks to produce a movie about Ann Casey. You know, Ann Casey was it was a hell of a talent, and what an interesting life story she had. Hmm. You know, Ann Casey wow. had, a, had a she had someone who had a very big crush on her, and pursued her quite vehemently but never got anywhere and that was Elvis Presley Elvis Presley was right over heels for Ann Casey yes sir wow so seeing a movie about Ann Casey's story would be very very interesting absolutely there's actually a movie I'm I'm just looking up on IMDB it came up under after the wrestler you know gives Similar movies. It's called Grunt, the wrestling movie. It was made in 1985. Yes. Yeah. And it says that a documentary <laughs> crew sets out to unravel one of professional wrestling's most closely guarded secrets. Its former champion, Mad Dog Joe D. Caruso, now wrestling as the mask. Yeah. Murdoch's in it. Well, if you want to go into documentaries, can you look at also there was one done in the in the mid eighties called I Like to Hurt People and that was all I've seen that one. NWA stuff. That was good stuff. Yes. I I, I, I did see that one. You know, watching Dick Slater sell an atomic drop was a thing of beauty. I mean that man could sell uh, like no other. You know, I and I dare say Especially with, with with basic moves, I mean there were there was two people that that really sold it, and one one was Dick Slater, and and the other one was Ricky Morton. Nobody made oh, yeah. me believe that Ricky was was 
in as much agony and pain, you know. And I, I, I watched the um, listening to the Jim Cornette podcast. He said the Midnight Express were were wrestling the the Rock and Roll Express, I think in the Omni in Atlanta. And of course, you know the, the Midnight Express is getting heat on the Rock and Roll Express, and they got Ricky down. Roberts laying on the apron, and Ricky just looked out into the front row and just mouthed the words, help me, to this girl that happened to be sitting in the front row. And just the, front, the girl in the front row just broke out in tears because she knew there was nothing she could do for him, and, and, and Ricky was getting his brains kicked in. Ricky sucked you in so badly that you wanted to climb in the ring. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely, and he was he was perfect for it. He was perfect for it. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I you know, I, and, and I love the chemistry that that the, the Rock and Roll Express had with the Midnight Express. They they were just you know in, you know in Cornet, you know including Cornette, they were five guys that just worked so well together, and they made a ton were, of money. Well, sure, they were polar opposites. You know, don't forget yep. also another team that came out of that whole idea uh, were the fabulous ones and the reason why they never yeah. they didn't really match up the fabulous ones and the rock and rolls before Lane went to the Midnight Express uh, the reason why they didn't match up the fabulous ones and the rock and rolls is that there was heat there because the fabulous ones were Jackie Fargo's answer to the rock and roll express yeah yep mm. yeah Cornette talked about that on one of his podcasts <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there was real heat there. I mean, there's a lot, there's there was a lot another of good... movie. There was another movie. That's... Ready to Rumble. Ready to Rumble. Oh, oh my Arquette. God. I'm trying to forget that movie, even though Arquette's a yeah. friend of mine, and I talk to Dave all the time. <laughs> I'm trying to forget that movie. Jeez. Uh, yeah. I think he's even trying to forget that movie. Well, maybe not. I mean, he might not be trying to forget it, but the rest of us are. That's for sure. But you know what? I don't know if Oliver, I, I know if out, Oliver I, I watched Platt it. remembers it, but still. Yeah. Was it Jimmy, Jimmy the King or something, was he? Yeah. yeah Jimmy King. Uh, Jimmy King, yeah. But I mean, uh, they, were, they showed the one. Uh, that's where you got to really see the comedic genius that was, that was Gene Okerlund. Because at one oh, point, yeah. uh, they were at a party. He goes, and Gene would just he laid out this just this asinine question: uh, do, do people find me? Do women find me attractive? And Oliver Platt in that Southern draw, I find you attractive, me and Gene. Honestly, I do. And it's, he cracked off, and it's like you understood, you know, the, the dead paint. Watching, I got to watch Okerlund from when he first appeared in the AWA. And, you know, watching him just deadpan these larger-than-life characters um, while doing the interviews for AWA uh, for their syndicated shows to, you know, to that movie. And you just never – you talk about an underrated comedic talent. Oakland has a dry oh. sense of humor. Uh, absolutely. Watch their – and it's all over YouTube – but if you you know if you search on YouTube you know Gene Okerlund bloopers when he's interviewing these guys, hilarious. I mean, you could literally, literally watch the guy go from dead serious 
to literally a second later cracking up laughing and a second later going back to dead serious again. Well, yeah, I mean, he was that professional, to, what he did. I had the privilege of being interviewed by Gene Okerlund at a show. I worked, oh, the show, I worked a show in Milwaukee called Blizzard Brawl, and Gene was Gene made uh, made an appearance, and he was also doing the backstage interviews for Blizzard Brawl, and so I was managing a tag team. We, we challenged we challenged Demolition for the tag titles that night. We lost, but we uh, we did an interview with with Gene Okerlund, and you know all the guys that were doing interviews with Gene called him Mean Gene. Except for yours truly, I went out there and called him Mr. Okerlund, and uh, and I just called him Mr. Okerlund or Okerlund, and never called him, never called him Mean Gene. And uh, when we got done with the interview, he pulled me off to the side. He goes, "You know, you're the only fucking guy that didn't call me Mean Gene." I said, "Well, I'm sorry." He goes, "Oh no, I thought it was great." He said the only other guy that never called me Mean Gene was Nick Bockwinkle. I said, "Well then, hell, I'm in good, I'm in good company." Yeah, very good company. <laughs> there's, there's one that we didn't, we never mentioned. Okay. Go ahead, bud. That was popular. Okay, behind the mat. Yeah, behind, behind the, the mat. mat. Yes. Again, that was a good one. I mean, because, um, God, I mean, you got to see the behind the scenes. After Foley took what thirteen headshots with a chair from the yeah, chair, and his kids were all you know were all upset and they're backstage and they're like, worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> daddy's okay. Daddy's okay. He's bleeding from everywhere. <laughs> yeah, he's like, no, they, they can't hurt me. And I'm thinking to myself, crazy bastard. <laughs> and again, you know. I don't want to lay blame on the fact that these kids are reckless and stupid, but where do they get it from? They got it partially from Mick. Yeah. They also got it from Enoki. Enoki was reckless in the ring. I don't care about you know the oh horribly reckless. That whole wow. idea of strong style, strong style right. is a bullshit term for being reckless. Hmm. Oh, I spit the hell out of you, but I meant to do that. That's strong style. Horse shit. That's you being reckless in the ring. Because Inoki had an ego that was bigger than his chin, for God's sake. (laughs) I remember Stone Cold talking about um, the big boss man being stiff with him over in Germany. And they they had gone out the night before and do what guys – sometimes do as they go out and stay out too late and got to get up early. And, and he said, you know, he said, Ray came off and he said, he hit me with like two or three potatoes. And, you know, he's like, as, as as he grabbed me again, you know, it was clothesline, you know, come, you know, come back, do it again, blah, blah, blah. And Stone Cold turned Earl Hebner said, watch this. And he came across and he hit, he hit Ray square across the forehead with his elbow and knocked him down. <laughs> and he said, and, okay. and, and the boss man looked up at me and said, okay, okay. And he's like, and they didn't have a problem the rest of the, the, rest of the tour. <laughs> well, there was a, you know, Vader pulled that, pulled that nonsense on Flair. 
uh, during a, a pay-per-view. You know, Leon was taking liberties with Blair to the point where Harley Race was, was Vader's manager. And uh, you could, if you listened close, you can hear Harley tell Blair, uh, Leon's gone into business for himself. Take his ass out. Now, Race was the opposing manager. And he said, right. Blair, just go ahead, go ahead and let him have it. And when they got in the back, you know, Vader's like, man, Blair gave it as full as he took it. And he, and, uh, and Harley told him, he says, Leon, you were being an asshole. That's why you got what you got. <laughs> wow. I mean, you know, the boys protected them. They policed themselves back in those days. They didn't go running to Tony Khan. You know, Bill, Bill hurt my feelings. Oh, shut up. <laughs> right. Right. Bill hurts your feelings. Well, guys, we're, you. we're, You're we're, we're winding down. Right. We're, we are winding down. I can't believe we made it the full two hours. It felt like we we literally just started. Right. Um, but I think this is going to wrap it up for this week. Um, yeah. I look forward to doing it again. Um you know, next next Thursday. Um, yeah, absolutely. Rap Boy, before we go, you, you, you got anything, Rap Boy, before we leave? Yeah. Um, what well, is that? My buddy, Johnny Cashmere, the old man from the Backstreet Boys, okay, he's got a show coming up right here on New Year's Eve Day at two at 2.30, right there at Mitchell Firehouse Company. In Burlington, New Jersey. And the tickets okay. are only ten dollars. Tickets are only ten dollars. And it's wow. going to be okay. it's gonna be Johnny Casimir versus Homicide. Okay. For ten dollars. Oh, cool. Burlington, New Jersey. New Year New Year's Eve Day. Yep. All right, perfect. Well if you're in the Burlington, New Jersey right. area, you have to check that out. And I will be there in attendance, and plus I'll be in attendance on Saturday at English Town as an ill, passing out flyers for the show. Nice. For the show, okay. Very nice. Yep. Awesome. Chaz, what do you got going on, buddy? Other than you, I know Nothing. you're trying to recuperate and and, and your drink back up. <laughs> Just a whole lot of training, a whole lot of therapy. Well, that's good. Well, that's nothing. But, uh, I do want to give that's, I do want to give uh, a, a couple of shout outs though to uh, Go ahead. to Dave Kerr, the amazing velvet, who's continuing continuing to battle cancer and some lung issues and some other stuff that he's got going on. So you know we almost lost him uh, in the past month, but I you know all the best to to Dave. Uh, continued prayers. All the best to Dave Burt as he goes through. Yes. Um, his current hospital stay, and uh, all the best to Granny Hulkster, who's, you know, by his side the mm-hmm. entire way. And I uh, look forward to talking to everybody again next week. Yes, sir. We'll be right back here yep, again, next, you know, at 8 o'clock. WCW Retro, don't forget to tune in to In the Room with Brady Hicks and the rest of the gang at 7.30 on Tuesday nights. And Ratboy, uh, top rope, when's that, when's that going to be on? Okay, I just got the word on top of today. We are going to be on tomorrow night at, tomorrow night, what 7, time? at 7 o'clock p.m. 7 o'clock. Awesome. 7 o'clock. 
Top Rope. Check it out here, right here at the VOC Nation. Well, guys, thanks for, for you know, participating and, and, you know, dedicating some time to this. A special shout-out to Stro who took time, you know, out of his, you know, out of his day to, you know, call in. And he just messaged me, said it was, you know, it was great. He's looking forward to getting back into the swing of things. Um, just continue, you know, pray for him as he continues to recover and, again, pray for Chaz and, and, you know, all the, you know, all those that are, that are going through things and, you know, getting better each and every day. And guys, right, and Howard, one thing you got to remember again. about, uh, one thing you got to remember about good old Chaz, see, the reason why I'm still here is God doesn't want me and the devil's afraid of me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I love how you're keeping it positive, my brother. You know, it's it's really is an encouragement, and you know, we do wish you the best. And you know, looking forward to you getting that bionic leg, and looking to see what you're going to do with it down the road. You know, as, oh, as an agent to the stars, and and me too, you know, bro. You know, we'll me see too. how that how that plays into it. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm going to tell you real quick before we go out there. You're going to take off his leg, and you're going to hit Rat Boy in the head with it, bro. Those legs are I, I pay, those legs cost seventy thousand dollars. I'm not putting I'm not taking that thing off for anybody. <laughs> Seventy G's, forget it. I'm not taking it off for anybody. Right. <laughs> well, guys, thank you. It's been a, it's been a great time. Everybody, be good, and you know we'll be right back here, you know, next week, next Thursday night at eight o'clock. Have a great all night, right. everybody. Good night, all. Bye, bye, everybody. Hey, this is Total Package Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. VOC Nation's own Stroh Maestro suffered a major medical and financial catastrophe this year. From the VOC Nation family, to all of you, please continue to pray for Stroh Maestro for his continued recovery. You can also donate to his cause, paypal.me slash Stroh. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Check out In the Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you are later there too, right, Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off a uh, building. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory, though. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Yo, this is Jerry Stein of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs. Yeah, you get nasty. Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts, and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Frisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hick, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. Archive-free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, 
and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter at VOCNation. Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, Tony here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my... Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's, uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect well, is? Well, I'll tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found the true world champion. I finally found... First of all, what's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think... Uh, I don't know what to say, but I, well, I want to say one thing. Uh, Bruno was an early champion. Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. Here's Bill Astor, and once again, we're speaking here with... Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiant? Well, actually, it, it was a, a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a loss. Did you have anything to do? Well, yes, but the whole thing is this. If the rules, as I always understood them, wanted to the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That's nice. Uh, it was to sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out, vocnation.com, WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. 